You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. And welcome to this week's edition as we move to week eight. I'm Mike Keynes, along with Pastor Darren, Pastor Drew. Hey, guys. Oh, hey. we finally had a good sermon. You know? Finally. <laughs> it, was, it was just great. And the thing is, we're going to have to do a speed round here because uh, Darren uh, was flying through uh, from Chapter 4 through Chapter 9 and so many hot topics in the Christian world to cover. Uh, it's hard to even know where to begin, but let's start back in chapter four and just to get a sense uh, of some questions I think that most people have as you read through the Bible and, and to get your expert opinions when you have Cain and Abel and the world is starting right after we've gone through Adam and Eve uh, they finally had a child uh, in Cain Abel comes along and then all of a sudden it seems like we move through this long timeline where are we at in terms of the amount of time from Cain and Abel being born to the flood happening? How many years have passed? What kind of world is it? Can we guess? And how many people are there? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Mike. I think if you look at uh, what many Bible scholars have tried to do is they take the ages of the descendants of Adam and Eve, mm -hmm. compile them together to see when they start having children. And the, the number falls somewhere between 1,600 and 2,200 years. <laughs> and so you think about it, you almost have the time from Jesus to today from Adam to Noah. Right. And you do see it escalate quickly. And we talked about that, I believe, last week, just how quick we go from what seems to us to be a very simple a very simple act where, where Eve eats the apple and all of a sudden sin enters the world. And we're like, whoa, it's just an apple, right? Or a mango or a papaya or whatever we <laughs> joked about last time. But we see now that the, the next thing happens is a murder. Mm -hmm. And then we see polygamy. And then we get to what Darren taught on it. And great job on Sunday, Darren. Did a great job you see quickly just how fast things spiral out of control to where you have complete wickedness on the earth. And, and so you say, well, whether or not that was 1,500 years or 2,000 years, it quickly spun to where we find by the time we get to, to you know the end of Genesis chapter 5 that there's only one righteous man left on the earth at that point. And you think, wow, how could things have turned so fast? Yeah, someone in the medieval period uh, worked on the calendar that we currently use like of the year so the year right now is 2022 and so they wanted to make the year zero when jesus was born so they worked at it with with all their their history of how long people had lived and they tried to get back to zero and then they went back even further and tried to get all the years of, of the kings who ruled israel and then all these years that we get in these genealogies and they ended up at about somewhere around four thousand years before jesus was born so around six thousand years um from where we are now. Um, they, unfortunately, they got Jesus's birth date wrong. So he actually was born sometime between four and six BC before the year zero. Um, but that's, that's what some people have, have tried to do mathematically to figure out how long and how many people are here. Yeah. 
Well, I, I think because it leads to the point we're going to talk to talk about in a few moments of how was Noah able to have the skill, the tools in order to be able to build this ark. But I, I think it's if you if you just kind of read through the Bible, you, you don't realize how much time is really passing. It's not just sort of like um, they, they Adam and Eve have some children, and then shortly after that. It, it starts turning bad, but there was there was a part of it, Darren. I think that that's uh, and you you talked about it a little bit, but you were going to have to go through so much in that time period from the, from the Bible that not that it got glossed over, but you just didn't have enough time to yeah. really dwell on it. But what and what in the world? Who are these evil beings that are taking women and having children with oh, them? Oh, the the sons <laughs> of God. The yes. Oh, could man. could you go into some depth of both you and Drew about because it it seems almost mythical in a sense when you read yeah. something like that. Where do these? Who are these evil beings, and why are they impregnating women here on Earth? Yeah, so I'll repeat what I said last time, um, that the sons of God, as they saw the daughters of men, they, then they took them. Um, the main thing to, to glean here is that the sin that the humans introduced has been carried out through the entire created order, the heavens included. So um, whoever the sons of God are, they, this is a parallel story of them falling as well in, in parallel to the humans. Um, the question is, though, were, are these actual spiritual beings or are they not? Some people believe they are, and others believe they don't. I actually am unsure of it. I think I lean towards the side that they're not, um, because as we see the the results of these these marriages, we get the Nephilim. And as I mentioned on Sunday, the Nephilim are the fallen ones. That's what the word means, and and it's the idea that they were slain in battle, and so they were were great warriors who conquered a lot of people, who took any any women that they wanted, and so it's it's like they're great men who ascended to what other humans attributed to them as a godlike status. So other people viewed these Nephilim and, as sons of God. They thought that they were divine. And so they were obviously sinful. And the, if, since they could have children with any woman, that means that the best and strongest uh, sons grew up to be more mighty men. And it just resulted like in giants, more and more violence. Right? Yeah, giants. Yeah. And the thing is, when we come to numbers, the Nephilim aren't actually gone. The flood theoretically destroyed everything, but there are more Nephilim in the promised land. When the spies come back and report, mm -hmm. they actually describe Nephilim in the land. Like, no, there's giants. They're too big. We can't, we can't take them over. But there's the two spies, Caleb and Joshua, that said, no, God's with us. We can take him. Mm -hmm. And then the entire tribe of Israel rebelled, said, no, we can't. And then they wandered the desert for 40 years. And that whole story right. begins. Yeah, there's so many good theories on this. And, and you know, I think Darren did a good job of, of um, kind of sharing some of that. You do have kind of this age-old view that the Nephilim uh, were, and, and Nephilim, as Darren said, means fallen ones or giants, right? That they were the offspring of um, of fallen angels, like so, like Hercules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so you do get kind of this mythic picture that we think of today, and and I think some really solid conservative Bible scholars will say that they they thought the sons of God were fallen angels, right? So they're demons. And, and they, they have kids, and now these kids are like these superpower, right? These heroes, these men of renown. But there's a couple other really good theories out there, too. So the idea, like the sons of God, you know, thinking that, well, could these have been the, the kings, right? Who then, uh, these, are, these are kings, these are people that are, are, have power and, and a prestige. Um, another thought of is, too, like the sons of God were the line of Seth, the people that were 
righteous and following and, and still pursuing God, but then they were they, they had kids with these these women who were wicked and, and you know were not following God. Now all of a sudden you have just wickedness spreading out throughout humanity. Um, but you do get this picture that these Nephilim are these like giants. And so sometimes people even think was Goliath a descendant of the Nephilim, right? Goliath we see in in you know the book of First Samuel having the battle with David. Uh, you know, and, and a lot of commentators say, no, probably not. But, yeah, you see this idea of the Nephilim being these giants. So, you know, I don't think they were aliens. I, I don't think that they were fallen angels personally. Um, but we do see that they are these these famous characters that um, are brought into the story. Yeah, they're, they're men of renown, which right. means their name was famous. Exactly. They made their own name great. But right. the point of the Bible is God is supposed to make your name great. Exactly. And, and he, he does that get back to this whole idea of like what's good in our own eyes, right? Yeah. We want to do what's good in our own eyes. But yeah, so we, we see this character and, and throughout these characters throughout history, and, and we don't know who they necessarily are, but they they obviously were, were famous and renowned at that at that period of time. Uh, unfortunately, we're just left to speculate on who they are. Uh, it would be it'd be fun, um, you know, to 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 really gain a glimpse of this, but we just don't have enough information. As this is happening, and again, we're leading up to when the flood begins, and we want to talk about what's happening to man, and the speculation is this 1,600 to 2,200-year period. People are living a long time. When the flood happened, when Noah got onto the ark, he was 600 years old. Darren, is that an accurate um, time that we use now, or is it just some, some people think experts say it's just the, the amount of lineage, but others say, well, no, they're, they're on the earth that long because of the environment. And plus God wants the, for the, you know, for people to be born, multiply and that. So where do you, where do you stand in terms of why uh, were people living so long then, if that's an accurate way to, to look at them? Yeah, of course, we know that that's what the Bible says. And so um, we have to have some really good reasons to think about why why that might not be true. And so we have to look at it. What, what is it theologically trying to say? Um, th- there's a lot of speculation with this. I'm, I'll come in and just say something that we do know. There is a, a parallel set of clay tablets that have been found. It's called the Sumerian King List. And these tablets are dated from the second or third millennium B.C., which would be around the, like Moses, uh, it, Moses and the Exodus happened around like, what, 2000 BC or somewhere in there, 1500. Yeah. yeah, the dates are hard to nail down, but this would be well before that. Um, and on these ancient king lists, it describes names of kings and it gives the, the length of how long they reigned. Mm-hmm. So in the Bible, we have Adam living, what is it, 900 some years, mm-hmm. quite a while. 930. Yeah, so these kings, according to these clay tablets, reigned for 20 30 or 40,000 years. So you think the Bible talks about people living a long time, that these ancient Sumerian kings list uh, had people reigning for a, a crazy long amount of time. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting when you look at just Genesis 5, you see Adam, 930 years, Seth, 912, Enosh, 905, mm-hmm. Kenan, 910, um, Jared, you know, lived 962 years, right? And so all of these, these long times, and it, like, like I think Darren alluded to right there, if you're going to argue that these aren't accurate years, then we have to have a really good reason to argue. Mm-hmm. We do see in Genesis 1 that God says, be faithful, multiply. And so one of the, I think, most common philosophies on this is that God allowed man and men and women to live longer in those days because of the purpose of 
populating the earth. And so you, you live longer, have more kids, and, and now these people are going to take care of this beautiful world that God made. Right. And, and so I think that's that that is, uh, you know, a, a really great theory on why people live so much longer than they do today. There's another great theory, and this is pure just speculation, but it's the idea, as Darren talked about, the sky dome that comes crashing down in Genesis six with the flood that there was a firmament that was was basically protecting the earth at that point in time. There was no rain. Everything just grew. That's why dinosaurs grew to be so big. And people lived longer. And after the flood, now you've got radiation from the sun. Now you've got all of the, um, you know, just the, the natural things that we see in the world, living in a fallen world today. And so people live much shorter periods of time. Yeah, you know, I, I lived, uh, you know, one-tenth of that in, I think, my back hurts so much when I get up in the morning. <laughs> How do you feel at 930? Get hurt getting out of bed. <laughs> I know. Right. You want to toss the ball around with your son, you can't even lift your arm. Hey, oh. but remember, they didn't eat any saturated fats, no. you know. No. no high fructose corn syrup. <laughs> You're telling me that uh, there was no In-N-Out burger back no then? No In-N-Out. Now, you know what, though? In all in all seriousness, uh, I know, and Darren's awesome because he's our anchor because you and I get off into speculation <laughs> oh in a hurry. But... <laughs> If if there and because this leads me to where I want to go with with the ark being built and the animals uh, and we'll get into the reason why all this is happening but I want to get some of this nitty gritty stuff down so people can understand it but if where is the technology? Why not kidding about In and Out burgers? But if you think if they're there for say let's round it and say two thousand years, there has to be some technology. Right? The way that they're living, the way that they're building things, the way that they're doing. I mean, what kind of world are they living in at that point that Noah can build a 450-foot ark and, and what has to be done to be able to build that sort of thing? There are so many theories, yeah. and these are really fun to look at. But if you say there was 1,600 to 2,200 years that people were alive from Adam to Noah, and you try to increase the population based on what we see in the pages of scripture, knowing that scripture doesn't tell us every kid that was born to Seth or Jared. It tells us the main ones to draw the line of genealogy to Noah. We know that there was a lot more sons and daughters born. And so there's a lot of theories. One of them that I really liked said that if you take, um, if you take the population rates over the course of that period of time, um, then you will, and you basically add an increase of 1.5% of uh, on the population over the course of those 1,600 years, then you'd have somewhere around 774 million people on Earth at that time. Mm-hmm. But there's other theories that say that you could have anywhere between 1 and 15 million, or I saw one study that said you could have as many as, as from 2 to 10 billion people on the Earth at that time. We have 7 billion, almost 8 billion on the Earth today. Mm-hmm. So you think about with that many people on the Earth, what would technology have been like? Well, plus, if, especially if you're living longer, supposedly, I don't fit this category, but you're supposed to get smarter <laughs> right. the, longer, the longer that you live. So, Wisdom. <laughs> right. But if you're living 900 years, at that point, are you just building, uh, you know, you know, cell phones by yourself? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and think about this. When you look at the dimensions of the ark in, in Noah, or that Noah builds in Genesis right. chapter 6, you see that what we estimate, what that that it's estimated that the ark was 660 feet or, or 550 feet long, 92 feet wide, and 55 feet high. 
Okay, so if they didn't have Home Depot, how did he get right. that wood? Right. So they're chopping down trees. Right. They, they've got saws, right? They, they've got right. all these things. But how are they bending the wood to create this arc? Is this, this, this floating box? holding it together. Yeah, exactly. So you have to think that they had tools. They had really good tools for Noah. Right. Now, he did have 100 years to build this thing. So mm-hmm. he took his time, <laughs> and he did it right. And Sounds like my project trying does. to fix the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> and God... For sure, was working in this situation to give him what he needed to accomplish right. the task. Right. But we have we have to read through the lines and say, well, no matter how many people lived on the world at that point in time, there was a lot, and they for sure had tools. They for sure had some technology. It may not have been the iPhone, but they had some technology that would have allowed them to make the right measurements. And to, you know, th- this was a very agrarian culture, right? These guys worked with their hands. I imagine they had some great tools that they used to build this ark. So I guess I'll be your anchor. Yeah. <laughs> bring, bring us <laughs> back to earth. Thank goodness. <laughs> so, so when I read this, I'm like, why is this in the Bible? Why do we need to know this? I'm not building an ark. Right. I mean, they they right. built one in Kentucky, though. Isn't that where the Noah's Ark Museum ark is Encounter. or something? Yeah. yeah. The, they did build one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, like, I'm not. So why is this in the Bible? Um, when, when, as I was studying this, I, I started to look at where else do we see these kind of detailed instructions in the Bible? Every time we get these detailed instructions, it has to do with the presence of God. Like the temples, right? The temple, mm. the, the tabernacle, um, the, the instructions on how to build it, um, and also the materials. Like, mm. go get acacia wood and make it this long and make curtains out of this and that and all that mm. kind of stuff. And also, not only that, but in a couple of visions, in Ezekiel's vision, there is um, a vision of the future temple because uh, at, at Ezekiel's time, the current temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. And so the Spirit of God takes Ezekiel up and he sees um, some kind of heavenly new temple. And there's someone like the Son of Man there, and he has a measuring rod in his hand, and he measures the dimensions of that temple. And it's a cube. It's very kind of kind of strange, like a cube temple that's like 450 foot wide, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and then there's another one that John the Revelator sees, and, and that yeah. that temple is measured too. There are exact measurements, just like we have here in the Ark. And in in the Ark, um, you see that there's a threefold construction. There are three decks. There's one door, and in the Temple and Tabernacle, there's also an outer court, an inner court, and the holy place. There's a threefold construction in all of these things, and in the Temple and the Tabernacle and those visions of the New Temple, that's always where God's presence comes to reside. So if you remember what I talked about in the sermon, that that God allowed creation to cave back in on itself, but he protected this one ark, it's as though his presence was with Noah in the ark because of that exact construction. So God's presence was there with him on the ark, and then, you know, as, as I mentioned, new Eden, new Adam, and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I think it's it's important to really remember what God is doing in this, because and I want to make sure and, and point out that we have people who are listening to us who are strong Christians, who have read through the Bible, who have an understanding of this, but there's also, I think, can be roadblocks to these kind of stories in the Bible to people who aren't believers yet and are have come to Forefront Church at Harvey Park and go, okay, what, what, what do they believe here? What's going on? What should I believe? And they go, what? Something, this one guy built an ark and then put maybe 45,000 animals? But we also have to remember... God's part in this, right? Drew? We do. That God put these animals on, and there was, it was God is a big part of this. And it's I think it's easy for us to go, oh, that's to dismiss these fables and stuff. But how how do we handle these kind of stories 
if you're not a believer yet or you're talking to people and trying to share the faith and they bring up, come on. Really? What, that, that, that can't be a true story. I think even as believers, we struggle with several of the stories in Scripture. Mm-hmm. We struggle with Noah and the flood. We mm-hmm. struggle with Jonah and the fish. And the next week, you're talking about Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel. We, we, right. we struggle with that. And sometimes we do look at these and seem, well, these seem like fairy tales. Mm-hmm. And I, I know several people that I'm really close with who says, hey, I've re- you know, I, I really have rejected Scripture because of those two stories. Right. And, and there's so much that can um, just cause, like, as you mentioned, I think it's a great way to say it, a stumbling block mm-hmm. when you get to, well, how could somebody survive in the belly of a fish? That isn't possible. Right. And so when we taught Jonah, we said, well, actually, there are some accounts of people surviving in the belly of a, of a whale. Mm-hmm. Um, but what we said was, while that could have, while these are some stories and who knows how real these stories are, God who created everything has the power over everything. Jesus could turn water into wine. Jesus can make a blind man see. Jesus could help Noah, you know, God's power could help could help Noah build an ark. God's power could help Jonah live in the stomach of a fish. And so while these are these are supernatural events, so we can't try to confine them into the natural explanational box. These are supernatural events. How could God how could how could anywhere from 8,000 kinds of animals to 25,000 kinds of animals fit into an ark, right? right? right. That's the question. And and then again, a lot, we struggle with that. Well, what did, did Noah just have to go, here, here, little bunny. <laughs> come, here, come here, little horse. You got a carrot. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. Now, I, bring, your, bring, right. uh, bring that girl with yeah. you. <laughs> I, I do think we see it, it, what happened was, just like God, we see God appointed the fish to swallow Jonah. Right. God appointed the animals to come to the ark. And we want to say, well, what about every, you know, there's 400 breeds of dogs. Did all 400 get on the ark? Right. Well, right. it could have just been that God preserved one. Mm-hmm. pair of dogs mm-hmm. and it could have been that God brought baby giraffes you know a male and a female baby giraffe mm-hmm. he didn't bring full-size giraffes there was a study done which I thought this was really interesting there is a um, a, a lot of a lot of really stu- good studies done about um, just the the size of the ark there's a guy by the name of John Woodmarop and he wrote uh, he did a lot of work looking at scholarly articles to try to get his mind wrapped around the size of the ark and he did say, based on the size of the ark, if you took fifty-four percent of that, what we, how big we think the ark was, you could actually store one hundred twenty-five thousand sheep-sized animals on that ark. So that ark was big enough to store a countless number of animals. That's, but but how right. did they all get fed? All these things. Right. That's God. And God plus brought the answer. The smell. Oh my God! <laughs> I, mean, I got two dogs. I'll tell you. And you guys weren't even raised on a farm, <laughs> right? Like right. Ma- like manure, cow manure yeah. is a real problem on farms. You got to get rid of it somehow, right? <laughs> oh, it's just so those kind of things. It's 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 fun to talk about, but I just think it's important for for Christians who who want to share the word to be able to talk about these things and have an understanding of it. It is. Uh, because, uh, Darren, I love the fact that you brought out the the, the book. And, and any of us who have had children have read that story <laughs> to our kids and just... Yeah. Um, and you just go, come on, this, is this really true? But I, let's, let's... We can talk about this and speculate, but I think the important thing is... Why is this happening? That's really what this is about, isn't it? Why is God going, I've had it with all these millions of people. I'm taking one and his family and the animals, and we're starting over. And then what happens after that? We'll talk about the rainbow. And then uh, when Noah's son discovers uh, Noah in, 
in in a spot in which uh, Noah did not want to be in. So we'll we'll get into that, but let's let's get into the bigger picture. Uh, let's just take it for what it's worth that this is happening the way it's said in the Bible, why? So that's kind of what my sermon was about a little bit. So right. so to gloss over that that real quick, it's like God, God is good, and because God is good, out of that goodness flows love and justice in equal measure. Mm-hmm. And so because, as it describes in chapter 6, the humans were, were over the precipice, there was no hope for, for them other than Noah. And so what God did was an act of goodness in order to preserve the... The, the rest of the world for life to flourish once again, or else humanity was headed towards a place where we would have destroyed ourselves mm-hmm. in that moment. And so that's the, that's the grace. That's the act that, that God did. Um, as, and there's a reason that I didn't talk about the historicity of all this kind of stuff. Um, and I know that those are roadblocks for people. In, and if, if, if I can contribute to that conversation at all, it would be that like, yeah, I do believe that there was a flood. I don't know if it was localized or worldwide. I don't think that matters. What I'm really interested in is what does the, what do these passages tell us about our God mm-hmm. and who he is and our condition? Because um, as soon as we start trying to debate whether this really happened, that's when all these outside sources are coming in and, and conflicting. Like Richard Dawkins right. says, like, uh, how, this is ludicrous. This is a fairy tale. It's like, well... If if you are educated in the Bible, which he's not, but but if you are, you you don't look at those things. You look at what theologically the Bible's trying to say to us about our condition, about what God's doing, and that's what Genesis one through eleven is all about: the origin story of humanity, what happened, and and all that kind of stuff. There are flood stories in other other cultures as well. I certainly think something happened. There was a massive flood in the ancient Near East, because there there's Sumerian flood stories, there's Babylonian flood stories. Mayan flood stories? Yeah. All the way into Central America? Yeah. I mean, there's there's all kinds of similar stories that, that eventually, over time, could have passed into myth and legend, but there's always a historical accuracy or accurate fact that they came from. So certainly something happened, but this is talking theologically about what who our God is. But But it goes to that point where you have something that's scientific about why a rainbow exists yeah. you could say okay th- you know i'm not smart enough to, to really fully understand but there are scientific reasons as to why you have a rainbow and and you the the naysayers say well you're just using that as a chance to you know have god explain why the rainbow that he he did it to promise that this was never going to happen again so what is it what should we believe as christians did god put the rainbow there as a reminder or was it just a scientific thing that people were able to say hey you know here's a little story about god well i think the takeaway for us when we look at these supernatural things is to is to see god's fingerprints Mm. on them and to look and we've talked about it over and over again try not try to figure out um the the how but Mm. to understand the why and the who and i think that still comes into trying to read this like an ancient near east reader when you do see that this this picture of the flood and this 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 situation that happened as Darren I think mentioned really well you have flood stories all over all over um, antiquity and so something happened right which Noah's grandson would have told his grandson would have told his grandson and that would have spread and so that's why you have these flood stories we we haven't we had a flood we we, we of course don't have video or, or, or data from that to know exactly how far spread it was or did it tie in with all these other events that, that historians have tried to say like the, you know, like, like the, the glaciers melting or, or, you know, the ice age, whatever these things are, but you have a flood. And, and now you see that God makes a covenant with his people with Noah. 
afterward. And so you're left with the question, was, it, was Noah the only one out of all of these, you know, millions, potentially billion people, we don't know, was Noah really the only righteous one? Well, that's what the Bible says. And so why, you think, well, why did God have to do this? You get back to your question a second ago. Well, it appears what we see in Scripture that there is only one man who is pursuing a relationship with God at this point, and it's Noah. And so at this point, it has failed. Sin has so ravaged humanity that God needs to hit the reset button. And, and I, I love the way Darren painted the picture of God decreating to, to recreate. And so you have now this man, Noah, and then God makes a covenant with his people. And that covenant is when you see the rainbow, it's a promise that I'll never flood the earth again. Mm-hmm. And it's, a, it's another picture of God's goodness, as Darren mentioned yesterday, um, as the, really the anchor theme throughout the sermon. And so is the rainbow only visible after it rains? Well, I think science would tell us that there is something about light, particles, and water that creates a rainbow. And if you live in Colorado, we are... We see crazy amounts of rainbows mm-hmm. out here. There is something to be said, but wouldn't that make sense? This was the first time it had rained. No one had ever seen a rainbow before. And so God sets his rainbow in the sky. God uses light. God uses water to um, create a beautiful rainbow. And God says, when you see that rainbow, be reminded as the light hits the water in the air, be reminded of my promise and my covenant with you. And so I think that God truly is giving us a, showing us a covenant. It's not some man-made explanation of why we see a rainbow. I think God is using, again, science, right? How does God speak to us? He speaks to us through nature and he speaks to us through his word. And God uses science and theology to make sense of that. I think this is one of the ways he does that. He speaks to us through nature and then he tells us in his word what that means. So I think that is something for us to take home. And when we do see a rainbow, it's God's covenant and promise to us that he's going to fix the problem a different way. And this way is through Jesus. And what's uh, just, I know Darren needs to jump in here, but I do want to say, um, being from Ireland, that what's even more awesome is there's a pot of gold. Mm. (laughs) So just, you know, I want to remind people that that's possible to find. If you can capture, you have to capture the leprechaun first. You do. Which is very difficult. It's a bit tricky. (laughs) I'll add two things which I had to cut from my sermon or else I would have been up there for another 15 minutes. (laughs) Um, uh, So one is that the... Uh, this covenant here that God makes is unconditional. There is no, there's nothing that Noah and the humans and the earth have to do in order to receive this blessing that God will never destroy the earth again with a flood. That there's nothing that we have to do. God will will never do that again. Um, and what he does then is he sets his, his rainbow in the clouds. Now, the Hebrews did not have a word for rainbow, that phenomenon of light passing through sun drops, or, uh, light passing through raindrops creating the, the rainbow that we have, they just had a word for bow. And it's the same word that's used for bow and arrow, as in a weapon of war. Mm-hmm. So if you look at that rainbow in the sky, where is that bow pointing? If you'd notch an arrow in that and let it fly, well, it's pointing up into the heavens where God is. Now, this is, is something that we can extrapolate all the way out to Jesus, um, because the fact is that God's, um, the, the punishment that we deserve, or, or wrath sometimes, as, as we say, that the justice that we deserve for human evil would no longer be carried out via a worldwide destruction. So that justice has to go somewhere. Well, that bow being pointed up into the clouds is, is like that. Those arrows fly up to God and pierce his heart. And he has to absorb 
this evil and this human suffering that, that we inflict upon ourselves, but also uh, it would be just if he would destroy us, but he doesn't. What happens is Jesus comes and he absorbs all that evil into himself. He himself is pierced on our behalf. He, he takes that wrath upon himself. And so that, that rainbow pointing up into the sky, the bow, a uh, weapon of war, is, is a picture of what God ultimately does in Jesus. And I think it's so beautiful, all the types and shadows we get of Jesus in the Old Testament. Already now, we've had the picture of Jesus coming back in the Proto-Evangelum in Genesis 3.15, and now we have a picture of the rainbow. And it pointing to what God will one day do to take the punishment on himself on the cross. And so first nine chapters of the Bible, you see Jesus twice. Right. That is, well, more yeah. than twice, really, because it's the word of God speaking right. creation. Right. It, there's so many other things we, we, we never got a chance to get into God grieving his feelings about this. But uh, be remiss if we didn't just kind of. Put a uh, put a bow on the end of this, if you will. Uh, with, I see what you did there. Right? Did you see that? <laughs> then uh, you mentioned right at the end of the sermon uh, about Noah being discovered uh, naked, mm-hmm. and uh, we you didn't get a chance to elaborate on it just because of time. But I, I, let's let's do that here as quickly as we can. So Noah, who became a farmer, plants a vineyard, makes and he's making wine. He gets drunk, he's laying naked, and then some sons come in, including Ham, and ultimately Ham gets the curse from Noah. I, I, I know that's a, I'm speeding right through that. Could you elaborate a little bit more on the significance of what happened yeah. there? Yeah, so we find the story in, in uh, chapter 9, 18 mm-hmm. through 28, the rest right. of chapter 9. And um, as I mentioned, Noah comes out, he plants a vineyard, so he's in a garden, and then he, he lies uncovered, naked in his tent. So we have a, a new Adam in a garden, naked, mm-hmm. new, new Eden. Um, but what happens here is he, he drank some wine and he became drunk. Now, the Bible is silent on the morality of this. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we know it's not a good thing to become drunk, but he, he's naked inside of his tent. And then in verse 22, Ham, who's the father of Canaan, that's an interesting detail, comes in and sees his father naked, and he told his two brothers outside... And then Shem and, and Japheth took a garment, laid it across their shoulders. They walked in backward and covered their father's naked body. And when Noah woke, he was he was outraged. But but what's the big deal? Like he just right. like ha- Why Ham is he just so mad. Yeah, Ham just saw his dad nude. Like what right. what's the big deal? Well, in the Hebrew, there there's a lot of things going on that our English translations can't quite capitalize on. And and I actually wrote a paper on this last semester about the specific verses in 21 and 22. And so I'll read up the passage from this. And what I'm going to say is that um, to for him to see the nakedness of his father is a euphemism for uncovering the nakedness of your father, which means to have sexual relations with your father's wife. So Ham walks in and has sexual relations with his mother. And that result of that seed, that the result of that union is is Canaan, which is why Canaan is cursed then, by Noah when he w- wakes up. So there's a, there's a time difference that's unique here, but here's here's what I say um, in my paper. So in, in the sexual purity laws of Leviticus, to see or uncover the nakedness of another means to have sexual, sexual relations. So that's one thing. There's a separate thing then. To see the nakedness of a man or to uncover the nakedness of your father means to have sexual relations with his wife. Now, you can't just mean... That they're seeing ungodliness in Noah. I mean, there is a. What I'm saying is, they go in, they see their dad, who was you know this righteous man. There he is, laying drunk. 
naked and they're saying, well, this isn't such a perfect person. So that's not it. I, I, I hear that. Right. I've heard I, that explanation sure. for this. I don't think so. The most mm-hmm. interesting thing is, is because it says multiple times that Ham is a father of Canaan. It says that twice, and then Canaan receives the curse. But why in the world does Canaan get that curse? Well, it's because Ham and his mother had a son who's named Canaan, and so Noah curses Canaan as the the fruit of that relation of that sexual act, which should not have happened, which was a sin. So here we get a picture of Noah, who's supposed to be a new Adam, and his sons failing in their mission to to be morally pure and morally right. It's it's another fall story. Yeah, I think it's really an interesting text, and there's so much that um, is difficult to pick up in our English translation. And, and I think you know Darren does a good job of bringing up that Leviticus twenty verse eleven concept. I, I do think that there are. Um, there, there are just things that, that we can't make sense of here, but we do see, right, something really messed up happened, mm-hmm. right? And so, it, you, know, you know, as Darren explained there, you know, if that's the way it played out, then, then I, you just see you have this picture that I think Darren did a good job of mentioning it. You know, can, can Noah be the one that makes it good, right? We see Adam. No, Adam can't do it. Seth, can Seth do it? You know, can, can Noah do it? Now we see Noah in the garden naked again. I thought Darren get some good imagery there yesterday after the flood ended. And now you see this sinful situation happen. And, and, and now we're thinking, well, no, it's not going to be Noah. So I think, you know, another, ex, you know, another concept that we see within these, with the, these verses is this picture that Noah isn't the savior. We're still waiting for the savior. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to move into to Abraham and we're going to move into Joseph and we're going to move, you know, move into David and we're going to get to Jesus. Uh, but there's these road stops along the way, these stop signs, and you're wondering, ooh, is it, is it Noah? Is no one the one that's going to make things right? Mm-hmm. We see, no, it's not Noah. The world is still, man is still sinful. Mm-hmm. God has now made a promise. He's not going to clean man off the world. He does pretty good. Like, Noah's pretty good. Yeah. But mm-hmm. not fully perfect. Not fully yeah. perfect. Yeah. He, he, he was the only righteous person, which means he was, you know, he was pursuing relationship with God, trying to be the person God called him to be. But we see sin in Noah's life, just like in our life still is, yeah, is, is in humanity. We can, even though we are trying our best to be uh, holy, righteous, right. we can't be, can we? Yeah, exactly we right. And so it continues to type and to point us to yeah, Jesus. That's it. Wow. Hey, nice. Wrap that up. Really nice. <laughs> well, Darren, you were awesome yesterday. It was, so it good. was just great. great job. Re- really enjoyed it. And that's a lot, <laughs> a lot of meaty stuff to try and cover. Drew, how many verses do you have this coming Sunday? <laughs> Three. <Yeah>. Nine. <laughs> About nine. About back nine. back so to the. We're getting we're, back to the crawl. <laughs> but we're getting to the Tower of Babel, though, right? We are. Ooh, yeah. I, I can't we wait. Are. I, got, I already got a list of questions. 11. Yeah, but just nine verses. So, uh, you know. We'll be able to accomplish that. <laughs> so make sure, please, either come at uh, 10 o'clock to Forefront Church at Harvey Park on Sunday or uh, available on YouTube and Facebook. And as always, for our podcast, we're so glad that you've listened. Please share it with some friends. Uh, like it, subscribe, and uh, and, and spread the word about it. So these, both the Darren and Drew come in here and, and do such a great job every week, and, and we're just happy to be able to share this with you and, and hopefully allow you to grow and learn that's the whole purpose of this and we again thank you so much for for listening and again i every week i learned something else i i, I learned about wheat and how you know <laughs> how that gets uh, how you cleanse how the you field. get rid of the weeds uh, in kansas so, so thank you for that darren i'm mike Haynes for pastor drew and pastor darren thanks so much thanks, for guys. listening to another edition have a great week you have been listening to more to the story 
a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, more to the story. Podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.